This podcast delivered by Australia Post. Whatever you're sending, they make it easy to pay and print your shipping labels from anywhere. And if you're in a metro area, they can come and pick up your parcels with My Post Business. Find out more and go to ozpost.com.au slash podcast. Australia Post. They put everything behind your business. Now, time for the show. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan. I'm here, as always, with David Scott. Great to be back, Paul. Now, the Irish economy has been one of the truly extraordinary stories of the past decade. When you look at what's happened around the world uh, in terms of the huge downturn that the economy suffered, property bubble bursting, uh, and its subsequent recovery. Uh, with Britain leaving the European Union, astonishingly, Ireland is now the only e- English-speaking member of the EU, uh, and the economic momentum uh, there now is looking really strong. Uh, on the show this week, uh, to talk about the lessons from all of it and to discuss competition in the global war for attracting investment dollars, uh, we're privileged to have Martin Shanahan, the chief executive of Ireland's Industrial Development Authority, the agency responsible for uh, encouraging foreign foreign investment in Ireland. Martin, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Look, uh, aside from all your work uh, at the IDA and you're down here on a trade mission at the moment, um, just a couple of years ago you had uh, you had a bit of internet fame thanks to an interview on CNBC which took a very peculiar turn. Yes, um, I'm trying to forget about that, uh, but, but thank you for bringing it up. Uh, so, uh, yes, as, as you may know, the interviewer lost their way a little and uh, did not quite uh, know the difference geographically or economically between Ireland and the UK. Yeah, uh, and I think the, the uh, question kept coming, which was, you have the euro? Yes, and I reassured said interviewer that we definitely did have the euro, and we still have the euro, I'm glad to say. And I'm, I trust that my interviewers today are much more enlightened about Ireland. <laughs> I actually remember that. So now, now that I can remember this from you know, going back in the memory banks. I can actually remember something on this line. So now I'm going to go look it up after the show. But yeah, so yes, but you are definitely famous. Yeah, that's right. And they were wondering also why, why Scotland, um, if Scotland had the euro too, because that was surely that was part of... Uh, Ireland as well. I, I, indeed. But I, I think, I, I hope I set the record straight and uh, that uh, we're, we're clear that Ireland and the United Kingdom are quite separate and uh, that Ireland uses the euro and that the UK uses sterling. Absolutely. Look, we've all got our own various connections uh, to uh, to Ireland. Uh, obviously, I grew up there. Um, I got out uh, at the height of the boom in 2002 and um, my best friend, we actually moved to Australia together 15 years ago and he told a story uh, at uh, our wedding where he said that in 2002 when we were deciding to move to Sydney, he said, look, we've got to escape this madness. Let's move somewhere where people are far too sensible to get caught up in a credit and property bubble. Let's go to Sydney. So here we are 15 years later and uh, there's all a very, uh, there's a strangely familiar sense of uh, some of the things that were happening in Ireland at the time. Um, But um, uh, Martin, you've got a very important role in talking to businesses from all over the world uh, about coming to set up in Ireland. Um, and as most of our listeners will know, most of the world's major tech companies are there uh, in Dublin. Um, but before we get on to that, I'd, I'd like to start about uh, with where it all went wrong. Um, you know, in Australia, we haven't had a recession here for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, 26. Of, 26, sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, some of our listeners will... Um, 
never have known an economy that's been in recession, and many of them will certainly have never worked through one. I mean, if you're 40 years of age now, uh, you have never, and you've only worked in Australia, you've never worked through a recession. Um, perhaps you can start with your perspective of the causes of the bust um, and gives a sense of what it was like at the time. So uh, I think the first thing to say is that in the early 2000s, uh, late 90s into early 2000s, um, Ireland um, was doing extremely well for all the right reasons. It it was attracting investment, it was uh, exporting. And then uh, Ireland suffered, I think, the twin shocks of the um, global banking crisis, the global uh, financial crisis, and a a self-made property bubble. And those things um, uh, coming together, um, and of course they're they're somewhat related also, but coming together um, led to one of the most significant recessions Ireland has ever seen and indeed that any country has ever seen. And uh, it's not pretty. Uh, I suppose the tangible uh, impacts of this are that uh, people lose their jobs, um, wage levels reduce, incomes reduce, uh, the value of capital assets reduce, and that includes people's houses and they find themselves in negative equity where their um, uh, their own home is worth less than what they originally uh, paid for it. And uh, it was an extremely difficult um, period. We saw uh, our debt-GDP ratio uh, soar. We saw unemployment increase to uh, Uh, 15.2% as a result of significant job losses, a complete uh, collapse of the uh, construction and property um, sector. And um, I suppose you're, you're, you're then faced with challenges. Uh, and it, it's also important to say, obviously, we're not the only country who faced challenges at that time. Uh, a lot of countries across the globe, with probably the exception of, of Australia, um, who, were le- who was less affected. Um, but one, one's faced with choices at that point. And uh, I suppose what maybe has differentiated Ireland since then is that um, decisions were taken uh, quickly. Um, uh, in hindsight, they now appear to have been the right decisions. Ireland has come through that period um, quickly, I think, in international ter- uh, terms. And we now have a situation where um, uh, we've seen significant employment growth in the last number of years, unemployment back down at 6%, um, debt GDP ratio back down to 75%, um, the fastest growing economy in uh, Europe for the past uh, three years. I was looking at some numbers earlier. It's, um, I mean, there's been some outlier numbers of annualized growth at something like 25% because of some wild balance sheet moves. Um, but you take, strip those out, and you're looking at GDP growth of like seven, eight percent. Yeah, I mean, last year I think uh, f- five point three was probably last year. It was higher, as you point out, in in some of the previous years. Um, we expect this year to come in probably over four um, percent, and the medium term outlook um, looks pretty good in kind of um, 3% uh, plus uh, per annum. Uh, the, the economy has outperformed each year in the, the immediate past, so it, it may do so again, I think, at the moment. We've seen, and, and essentially the reason for that is that we got back to doing what we do well and what we were doing well prior to the uh, the property bubble. And that is, you know, as Ireland has done since the 1950s, we got back to exporting 
and we got back to attracting inward investment. And Ireland has been um, probably uniquely successful in terms of the volume of inward investment that it has been able to secure uh, across the globe. Uh, one of the um, upsides of a, a financial crisis, if you can call it an upside, is your economy becomes extremely competitive again. So mm. it suppresses wage levels. Obviously, as I mentioned, property prices, both residential and uh, commercial office space, becomes extremely uh, attractive to both buy and, and rent. And we saw investors coming into Ireland as a result of it. I suppose the other thing that differentiated Ireland from other uh, European countries, and I'm thinking particularly some of the Mediterranean economies, is that we have quite a diversified economy. We're not reliant on any one uh, sector heavily. Uh, over the years, we've built up a really strong technology sector, as you mentioned at the uh, top of the program. Um, we have an extremely strong financial services sector, which we've built up since the 1980s from scratch, essentially. Uh, we have a, a very, very strong pharmaceutical and medical devices sector, strong engineering, strong uh, agri-food and uh, and then tourism obviously is an important um, part, part of the mix, economy yeah. as well. With the speed of everything that happened, uh, I'm just wondering if you can cast your mind back and put you on the spot a little bit, but like, how fast did it become apparent that I mean, clearly you had the intervention from, from the Troika, as they mm. were referred to, the IMF, uh, the ECB and the, the, the European Union. Yet that intervention... Um, the Prime Minister announced that they were going to have to take some kind of bailout. Um, they were going to have to accept the terms that were being put to them. But how, how quickly did it become apparent that, that the wheels had come off? Yeah, I mean, I think pretty quickly. You know, um, I, I think a, a global financial crisis on its own would have impacted Ireland. The, the fact that we were at the height of a property boom um, driven by capital expecta expectations around rise in capital value. I mean, you know, it, it, I suppose those twin shocks, um, uh, it, it was pretty clear, I think, pretty quickly that we were, we were in trouble. And, um, and you know, you, you saw that probably manifest itself first in the property market, but then it quickly spread right throughout the economy. Right, in terms of businesses closing. Closing, unemployment in increasing. And, um, and then, obviously, you know, that translates into... Um, the I suppose the government coffers, and you 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 see um, tax take fall, um, and and you have to remedy that by cutting services and so on. Can you share a bit about the the conversations that were happening uh, in Ireland at the time? I mean, how surprised were people? Um, you know, what what were people saying about about the severity of what what happened? I mean. Because one of the questions here in Australia is this, you know, we've also had this enormous run-up in property prices, particularly in, in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, there is a fair degree of, um, of property speculation. <clears throat> I don't think anybody denies that. Um, uh, and, you know, this has led to sort of vast extension of credit. We're at all-time record highs, David, I think, uh, household um, income to... Yes, no matter what metric you're going to look it at, but uh, you know it's uh, about 190 percent plus you know, uh, household debt to, De uh, debt to, to GDP and yeah. um, and other metrics as well. You look at is all very high. Uh, mortgage debt's at the highest level on records, but you know from a holistic LVR perspective, we're still sitting around about 26, 27 percent LVR. So on that sort of metric, it looks okay. Yeah, um, and there was some data there um, during the week about um, mortgage arrears uh, um, in um, all around the country are actually very, very low, sub 1% in, in a lot of parts of the country. Um, and the property price growth has slowed down um, pretty significantly in the last 12 months. But um, a 
just to ask about that, the, the conversations that were happening in Ireland at the time, can you give me some sense of what were people saying about where the problems had been? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, firstly, and I, I'm certainly not going to draw any parallels between Ireland and, and, and Australia, sure. um, but uh, I, th I think, um, you know, the conversations uh, at the time um, re revolved around the difficult situation. Obviously, people now found themselves in uh, many people overextended, as I mentioned, uh, people in negative equity on their own homes, some sometimes people in negative equity around investment properties, um, difficulties because of either being made um, unemployed or uh, in some cases being asked uh, to take reductions in uh, their salaries. Um, so um, very difficult period for, for, for people. Um, uh, you know, public services had to be um, curtailed. Um, civil and public servants um, uh, were asked to take reduced salaries. Very difficult conversations being had. Mm. And one, one thing that the government did now, well, I, I'm not sure if this was on the insistence of um, of the, the, the ECB or um, if it was a decision of the government, but um, the National Asset Management Authority, um, NAMA um, for short, um, can you explain uh, why that was set up and, and, and how it worked? So NAMA essentially is what might be termed a bad bank in the sense that it, it was taking all of the bad loans that existed in the uh, domestic Irish uh, retail banks and uh, aggregating them together. Um, uh, obviously, they um, had been um, bought from those banks at a, a, a reduction to, in order to recapitalize the, the, those banks and then to manage those uh, assets um, uh, going going forward. Uh, that, that's essentially what, what they did. So it was, you know, it, it's a, I suppose, a kind of a, a unique response in some respects to uh, the crisis, which our domestic banking um, uh, sector was facing on foot of a property uh, bubble. And, um, you know, NAMA has performed extraordinarily well over the intervening uh, period. They have met their objectives. Um, and their recent figures show that they have repaid significantly, actually, to the, um, the, uh, the exchequer uh, in the intervening uh, period. Um, and what does the deficit, the um, uh, government um, deficit look like at the moment? So um, very modest uh, in terms of the annualised deficit. Yeah, very, very modest at the moment. And we're heading to a situation where we uh, expect uh, to run a surplus in 2018. So the 2018. Wow. in 2018. So the uh, economy obviously has recovered, as uh, we mentioned earlier, and uh, through very prudent fiscal management, uh, the expectation is and what is being planned for is uh, to run a surplus. OK, so... Uh, clearly, um, the IDA has had a significant role um, in, in all of this. Um, what are the industries that have been significant contributors? Because clearly, the areas where the, the types of companies that are now looking to uh, invest um, in all sorts of places and, and looking at global expansion, looking at moving into Europe, very different to uh, the types of companies that would have been there at, in the late 90s, 20 years ago, uh, when um, that when the economy really started uh, roaring, so sort of different mix um, of industries. So, or is it? Um, do you find it broadly the same? No, I, I think we we laid the foundation actually back in the 80s and 90s for for what we have now. Uh, I mean, in the intervening period, obviously the the property bubble. Um, uh, had a, had an impact and lost our way for a number of years, but we absolutely lay the foundation. I think um, 
actually going right back to the 1950s when Ireland made the decision that it was going to open up to the world, that it was going to attract investment, it was going to um, drive exports. And, um, you know, we, we have technology companies uh, investing since the 1780s and 80s in Ireland. Many of them at that point were hardware companies who were making the very first uh, computers and uh, and th- but they have developed over time in, in Ireland and they uh, almost all at this point are involved in software services. We still have obviously um, hardware technology in the form of you know, a company like uh, Intel producing wafer chips in Ireland, very significant capital investment, very significant employment. You have Apple there since the early early 1980s. And uh, building a huge data centre there now. Yes, they, 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 they announced last year that they're going to uh, construct a data centre uh, with a capital investment of $1 billion. Um, uh, you have them employing approximately 6,000 people in Cork in Ireland uh, with multiple functions uh, based there. You have the Microsofts, the IBMs, and then came, I suppose, the internet wave, which was Google, LinkedIn, um, uh, Facebook. And even further than that, we see, you know, the sharing economy coming in, the Airbnbs, the Ubers. And um, while we target, I suppose, global brand names, we also target the next wave of investments um, uh, from wherever they come, whether it's Europe or the US or indeed Asia Pac, which we're extraordinarily interested in to, because we want to, I suppose, catch that next wave early and uh, they may be uh, companies that are internationalizing for the first time. But r- right across, um, uh, you know, whether it is technology or whether it is um, pharma or uh, medtech, our approach has been to create a business environment that um, and a proposition that we can sell. Uh, that proposition revolves around, I would say, firstly, access to talent not just the talents that we grew up to our own education system. And we were fortunate to have extraordinarily positive um, demographics where over 40% of the population is under 29 years of age. So it gives us a good... Which is extraordinary. It is, is by, any, yeah. by any standard. Uh, but also the uh, talent that we're able to attract from abroad. And, um, um, and we have been very successful at attracting talent from abroad, particularly from Europe, but uh, further afield. Uh, and that talent has been good for Ireland, that diversification. We have a situation now where uh, 17% of the um, Irish labour force is non-Irish national. 27% of the tech labour force is non-Irish national, and and that has obviously. Um, uh, added where do they come from? Is it um, like what's the mix of the US to Europe? In terms of investments? Uh, uh, no, sorry, uh, in terms of workforce. Workforce. Yeah. It would be uh, in terms of uh, non-Irish nationals, it would be uh, European first, it would predominantly because obviously there's free mobility between Ireland and the, the other 27, currently soon to be the other 26. 26. <laughs> um, and uh, so a lot of European labour coming in and that has brought um, multicultural and more importantly multilingual skills um, where where you have a lot of um, companies servicing uh, a European or uh, European Middle East and Africa market out of Ireland, so they've concentrated their resources and they're able to serve those um, those markets. Uh, outside of that, we're, we're attracting talent from right across the globe. US, obviously, uh, because of the predominance of US multinationals, but also attracting um, inward migration from uh, Asia Pac. And David, you saw some of this uh, up close on your trip recently. Um, when was it you were there again? I was there in uh, May, right. early May. Uh, just coming into the summer would have been a good time of year to be in Dublin. I think it's always a good time of the year to be in Dublin. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe not winter, I can't That's say. That's the correct answer. Oh, yeah. I, 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 yeah, but, um, 
I think it struck me is that obviously, you know, the cities are very different. I know Sydney's a massive city. Dublin's a big city as well. Different in sort of, you know, geographic construction and everything else. But I must admit that uh, some of the headlines I saw on the news uh, when I was there reminded me of being home. The, the major discussion point when I was uh, leaving uh, Dublin was about how uh, I think rental rates had gone up 14% year on year. And uh, I really got the impression that the, the town was humming uh, now, obviously, I was looking at a lot of what was going on in the tourism sector, but there was just waves and waves, particularly of uh, of Spanish and Americans. Uh, and I, with the Americans, I couldn't help thinking that with the exchange rate, how the the US dollar had strengthened so much the year before, there was just these huge waves of, you know, uh, of US tourists are in there. Everywhere you went in Ireland was just dominated by uh, by US tourists. Um, and this, this this whole sector looked like it was humming. It was hard to go and get accommodation. Uh, it wasn't super cheap. That's coming from somebody who's been born and raised in Sydney where everything seems to be very expensive. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I got the impression that it's really like the economy is hot. You, know, you, right. you wouldn't have thought that uh, no, uh, just under a decade ago that it was in the, one of the worst depressions that you could possibly see. Martin, it's very high levels of job creation to get back and to, to repair the deficit in that short space of time, I think, is mm-hmm. a testament to the speed at which it's all happened. Uh, but that that is pretty hot, right? Um, and you get you know rents expanding at that kind of rate. I, I'm not sure what inflation's like, but um, uh, or, or, and wage prices. Um, but can you talk to us a bit about that? Like, is there is there a lot of heat in it, and is it a concern at all? So I, I think firstly, you know, we have to acknowledge it is currently a fast-growing economy. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good thing, uh, and it's particularly good given where we, we, we've come from. I think, uh, secondly, uh, I suppose uh, context is everything, and, and, you know, we're coming from a situation where, you know, property prices, rental prices, wage levels all dropped significantly. So the increases have to be seen over that low, lower base, uh, you know, from the um, kind of 2007, 2008, uh, 2009. If one looks at kind of macro stats, you'll see that uh, inflation in Ireland over the past five years has been significantly lower than the uh, European average. So it, uh, I, I don't believe that we are uh, increasing at an unsustainable uh, um, level. I, I think, you know, there's definitely a recovery in the economy. I think the other thing we have to acknowledge is that when you have such a collapse and then such a rapid recovery, um, we, there is a, a possibility and we're seeing this in some areas where the carrying capacity of the economy, the infrastructure, um, uh, residential housing uh, in particular, uh, takes uh, time to catch up. And, uh, you know, given that the the complete uh, collapse of the property sector and the construction sector, um, it certainly has taken longer for that sector in itself to to recover, for developers to come back into it, for um, those financing those developments to be comfortable that, you know, uh, uh, this is a good thing to be doing, given previous experience. And um, I would say that those um, infrastructural um, challenges um, can be addressed. Um, and thankfully, given our fiscal situation, we should have the ability to address them now going uh, forward. We didn't for the last number of years, but we certainly will, I think, going forward from this point. And, uh, and that is a, a government priority uh, to do that. Um, I would also say, and I suppose I have uh, a perspective which is gleaned from the fact that I travel all over the globe um, uh, regularly. I'm in the US a lot, both coasts. I'm in Europe a lot. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in Asia a lot. And, you know, all um, countries have, you know, challenges and drawbacks. Uh, I would say 
again, at a, a kind of macro level, 35,000 feet, Ireland looks remarkably stable mm. uh, re- re- remar- in every sense, uh, re- remarkably pro-business. And uh, the other thing I suppose we have is a, an extraordinarily strong track record, particularly on the direct investment uh, side, uh, built up over decades. And, and even, I think, the, the fact that we experienced a recession but were able to pull ourselves out of it so quickly has probably added to um, uh, confidence amongst uh, amongst uh, uh, investors. So um, uh, certainly, um, you know, from my discussions with companies, they are, um, they, they see Ireland as an attractive proposition at this point in time. Of course, taxes, um, the low corporate tax rate is a big part of this. Uh, a huge talking point sort of all over the world. Um, uh, I think for Western governments, talking about uh, multinational tax avoidance, all that kind of stuff. Now, Ireland comes up in that discussion all the time. Uh, corporation tax at the moment there is 12.5%. 12.5%, yes. Okay. So um, Brussels, French, Germans uh, have expressed over the years varying degrees of unhappiness, unhappiness or uh, annoyance with it. Um, where, where is that discussion up to now? So I think from an an Ireland perspective, the first thing I would say is that we have one of the most competitive, consistent and transparent taxation systems in the world. Um, We have a low corporate tax rate. Some may say relative to others. It's not the lowest corporate tax rate um, by far. And... um, but what it has been is consistent. We, we set a corporate tax rate of 12.5% and we have maintained that corporate tax rate right throughout actually uh, that very difficult period that we went through. Uh, we have made changes to our corporate tax regime over the last number of years to ensure that um, the disjoints or discontinuities between different tax regimes couldn't be used for avoidance. So Ireland has taken the steps that it needed uh, to take. We also have been um, to the forefront of the OECD base erosion profit shifting initiative, so-called BEPS initiative, and made uh, all of the necessary changes which uh, the OECD has uh, recommended uh, through the BEPS uh, process. So in no way has Ireland been negligent in relation to um, uh, taxation and tax avoidance. We believe that all countries need to move together on these matters. We believe that the OECD BEPS process is the right vehicle in which um, uh, to do this. And, um, you know, but we're unapologetic about the fact that we have a consistent, competitive and transparent taxation regime. Uh, It is, you know, uh, for every country uh, to set its own corporate tax, individual tax, countries use um, different levels and different, um, uh, you know, uh, to structure their own needs as an economy. And Ireland has chosen its, um, uh, you know, its level. So in Australia, there's this current conversation about reducing the corporate tax rate to to 25%. Now, they've they've extended it to small businesses. They've extended some of it to medium-sized enterprises um, up to a certain level of turnover, not very big. Um, But the argument, the justification for it is that around the world, governments are are moving to lower levels of, uh, of corporate taxation. Obviously, in the US, uh, Mr. Trump is pretty hot on uh, reducing um, company tax levels too. Um, so but you're right at the pointy end of this here, right? So you will, I'm sure, be able to share great insight on how much this matters because I think uh, we, we hear a lot that this is, you know, a real thing in terms of um, business decisions when it comes to um, deciding where to invest. 
What's your view? So you said earlier that, you know, there's been a lot of attention on this area and, you know, Ireland comes up in some of the conversations. I would say too much attention and probably Ireland comes up unfairly in these conversations. It would be the first thing because uh, it it doesn't matter as much as people think it matters. I, I am in boardrooms every day of the week across the globe. And the first thing any company needs to know is that it can operate in whatever jurisdiction it's going to, that it can set up, it can set up quickly and that it can scale up quickly and that it can find the talent that it needs in order to do that and to be successful operationally. And then other things come into the uh, the frame, including obviously the level of um, taxation. But the notion that everything is driven by tax is completely wrong. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a fallacy. I, I think it's it's maybe easy for some uh, some people to think that that is the case because otherwise how do you explain that you know maybe some smaller countries such as Ireland can do well but we do well because we have really high productivity because we have the availability of talent and we have structured ourselves to have pro enterprise uh, policies and provided stability that that's why we win investments and yes tax is a part of that but it is just one element of it and i go back to the fact that you know there are if tax was the only driver, you would go to the lowest tax jurisdiction. Every Ireland time. isn't the lowest tax jurisdiction. If, if that's what was driving you, Ireland wouldn't have won the amount of investment it has. But you strike a balance across all of these different criteria that multinationals are looking for. And we've struck, uh, I suppose, in terms of corporate tax, we've struck the balance at 12.5%. We believe that that is a sustainable level. We believe that, you know, it broadens the base. I mean, obviously, if you have lower tax, you're hoping that you're going to broaden the base. I think that's what it has done. Uh, we've shown that. As you pointed out yourself, we see lots of other countries uh, who are in the process of considering are actually lowering their corporate um, tax rate. Again, that is for those countries to decide. It is a judgment call for every country as to what is sustainable within the, the, their country. And of course, the access to the European market, the, um, the free uh, movement of labour and skilled labour. Um, and I think one, one of the other things, things is, um, you know, Ireland has very good universities churning out, you know, good uh, science graduates, uh, engineering graduates, etc., uh, which I think is probably something that um, maybe gets missed in the discussion as, as well, too. I, Irish universities, to my, as far as I'm aware, last time I checked, do pretty well on these rankings. Uh, absolutely. I, I think I think that's a well made point in that, you know, we have three strands to our industrial policy in Ireland. One is to grow indigenous companies and support them to export and to internationalize. The second is to attract inward investment into Ireland and help it grow and uh, export from Ireland. And then the third is uh, to invest in innovation and research and development. And the state has significantly increased the amount of funding it's putting into uh, research and, uh, and uh, development over the past number of years. We've invested significantly into our academic uh, institutions. We've supported companies um, directly and through um, the um, overall taxation regime to um, um, support innovation. And uh, I think those things have um, borne fruit. I completely agree with you because I think every Australian has uh, met a, a Celtic cub in their time or, or 10 or 20 in my case. 
Uh, I'm so highly impressed with the skills that the, uh, that the young Irish people around my age and younger that it went up through that, uh, that period where it was all about reinvesting in your people to go and produce productivity gains in the future. It is showing you know, strong gains now. Now, obviously, a lot of those, uh, those people went and left during the crisis, but I'm sure that you know, the way that the Irish economy is going now, it's probably attracting a lot of talent back as well. Uh, so, you know, based on what I saw in my little brief period in Ireland, no, there's every reason why you'd want to be there right now. It's an economy where it's humming. And there's one other big thing that's um, on the horizon too, which is Brexit. Um, so, and the implications for uh, banks, for example, if you want to be operating in English-speaking jurisdiction in uh, the Eurozone, uh, you need to be in Dublin. Um, that That was basically it. It's just a reality. Um, what does this all look like from your perspective? So I think the first thing to say in relation to Brexit is it's not what Ireland would have wanted. Um, uh, having said that, um, we respect the will of the British people. Uh, it uh, poses significant challenges for Ireland, uh, both um, political and socioeconomically. Uh, uh, there's obviously um, the issue of fact that we uh, share the island uh, with the UK, which is part of the, the United Kingdom. Um, that means there's the potential for uh, reinstatement of a land border in Ireland if Brexit goes ahead in its current proposed format, uh, which and that border would become a European border. Um, it has impacts, obviously, economically. Um, uh, heavily exposed, particularly in some sectors, and the agri-food sector would be the most exposed to the UK, where uh, very high high percentages are be, um, of agri-food are being exported to the UK. And then it also has, I suppose, um, created newly mobile investment. And what I mean by that is that since the Brexit um, referendum happened uh, and, and the outcome was known, we've seen a huge increase in the level of interest in Ireland for the reasons that we are English-speaking, we have a common law system, and all of the other I suppose uh, factors that we've already mentioned that uh, in terms of attracting foreign direct investment. The reality is, um, if you take uh, financial services sector was the first mover. The, re, uh, the, the reality is that if um, you want to continue to access the um, European market, uh, you need a, a foothold within the European Union going forward because we don't know what the outcome and nobody knows what the outcome of the EU-UK uh, um, trade deal uh, may be. Um, we know that negotiations on exit are currently not progressing as quickly as anybody would like. Um, and for companies and the companies that I meet, they want to put their access to the European market beyond doubt. Uh, they are planning for uh, a hard Brexit um, uh, uh, is the terminology that's used, which means that basically there won't be a trade deal and are, are there won't be a, a trade deal that they can live with and they, uh, they're making decisions and in the recent past we have seen um, uh, large banks such as JP Morgan, Barclays, um, Bank of America, insurers like um, Chaucer, BZ Re, um, ratings agencies like KBRA announcing that they're going to either set up or expand their operations um, in Ireland. And my expectation is we're going to see more of that. Mm. Uh, and it isn't just confined to the financial services sector. We are seeing increasing um, interest uh, from technology companies who are concerned about um, privacy laws and where they're able, going to be able to 
um, store and process data going forward. Obviously, um, the UK currently is a member of the EU, is governed by EU rules. They're also part of the Privacy Shield, which is the agreement between the EU and uh, the US. And all of that comes into question because, again, we don't know exactly what will situation will be post um, post Brexit. Anything that's touched by regulation is impacted here. So we've seen uh, pharma services companies uh, announce they're going to set up uh, in Ireland because you need a qualified person to sign off within the European Union if you want to release product into the European Union. So uh, wide-ranging effects. Um, uh, it is not to say that the UK won't ultimately have access to the European Union. We can't say that at the moment, but companies not knowing the answer are going to, to make decisions because they're being driven by their shareholders uh, mm. for clarity and they're being driven by their uh, client companies for clarity. Uh, it certainly would have you uh, extremely busy. Let's talk about uh, your trip down here uh, at the moment. Um, very large delegation uh, led by the president. Um, uh, and you've been down here um, for the last week or so. Um, so can you talk about the, the companies that you're talking to? Um, what, what are the kind of interests? You know, what, what do Australian companies uh, find interesting about Ireland? Uh, and, and what are those conversations like? So, so firstly, um, uh, obviously, the the, the key um, uh, um, activity at the moment is the state visit of our our president uh, to Australia, and that's going uh, extraordinarily well. And the president has received a, a very warm welcome everywhere he has uh, been. Um, the deputy prime minister uh, of Ireland, the Tonished uh, Francis Fitzgerald, is also in Australia uh, at the moment, accompanying the the president and leading a trade and investment uh, mission. We have uh, fifty five Irish companies down here who are uh, looking to Australia. Some of them have already um, um, a presence here. Some of them are looking to uh, expand. And then we're also meeting Australian companies, some of whom have already a presence in Ireland and whom we hope will develop that presence. And some of whom are the companies we're talking to uh, are looking at uh, the possibility of a presence um, in Ireland. And they're looking at that to access the European market. Companies that come to Ireland, they're not coming prim primarily to service an Irish market, although we have um, some excellent Australian companies who do that, the likes of uh, Harvey Norman, for instance. But uh, we, uh, many of them are coming to uh, service a, a European uh, market. Uh, I think um, you know the needs of company Australian companies are, aren't dissimilar to the needs of companies we see elsewhere, which is they they want you know to be able to um, set up um, quickly. They want to understand the uh, enterprise regime in Ireland. Um, it's quite a geographic distance, so they want to be sure uh, in this uh, uh, situation particularly. Um, they, um, uh, they're interested in talent. I, I would say a lot of our discussions revolve around you know, the types of people that the companies are looking for in order to set up their business and can they get access to that. And then they want to understand the operating environment uh, you know, what are the regulatory requirements, what supports are available and, and so on. Very positive engagements. Um, we have seen growth out of the Australian market in the last uh, uh, two years. Um, uh, we've seen companies um, like SiteMinder uh, setting up in Ireland, um, growing in Ireland, growing quickly. We've companies like ResMed, QB uh, setting up in Ireland, Macquarie Bank. So uh, I, I would say... Um, from our perspective, this is a potential growth market. We'd like to see more investment out of Australia, out of New Zealand, out of uh, the wider Asia pack. And, um, you know, currently 70% of inward investment in our, uh, 
into Ireland comes from the US, 20% comes from Europe and uh, 10% comes from, from Asia, Pak, essentially. Uh, we'd like to re- uh, redress that balance. We would like to see more coming from this part of the, the, the world and certainly all of the indications at this point is, uh, is that uh, we will see that. Some of the companies we're talking to obviously have also concerns about Brexit. So that has come up in the discussions here. Um, some of them have um, presence in the UK, uh, some heavy presence in the UK, and are looking to what what they will do post-Brexit. For some kind of certainty, yeah. Um, look, it's been um, a fascinating chat. Um, Martin Shanahan, um, Chief Executive of, the, um, of Ireland's Industrial Development Authority, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thank you. And thanks for joining us, uh, Dave. Um, great to have you. Thank you so much. Hopefully back next week. We'll all be looking forward to Ireland playing Australia next year in a three-test series. Um, uh, that's um, going to be uh, one that we're, uh, we'll be excited about. Um, there'll be, uh, I'm pretty sure, a uh, fairly steady build-up to that over the next six or eight months. Uh, you've been listening to the Devils in Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. The show is produced by Rick Salter. You can find us on the web at businessinsider.com.au. We're on iTunes or your preferred podcasting platform, uh, and you can subscribe to us there and uh, leave us a review. Uh, I'm Paul Colgan, and we'll catch you next time. Today's episode was delivered by Australia Post. They put everything behind your business, helping you save time and money. And with My Post Business, you can save at least 10% when you send on average five eligible parcels a week. Get more info and see the terms and conditions at auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.